0: You can be turning in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. You know, every um, time Easter is kind of messing with our spring break, somebody asked me, why do we change the date for Easter anyway? You know, why couldn't we just... Make it the same date every year so we would know how to plan for these kind of things. Well, actually it is the same date every year. It's just the people who established it did it on a different calendar than yours and mine. Uh, Christians were so excited about their resurrection and wanted to celebrate the resurrection. It wasn't ever prescribed in the scripture because every Sunday is the Lord's Day and Resurrection Day. But around 325 A.D., the Nicene Council said, let's just establish it. And they established a certain day. They said, well, we know Christians want to celebrate the resurrection. And the first resurrection happened around Passover. So let's go to the Passover and see how it was established. Well, the Passover is established on the first Sunday after the first full moon, after the vernal equinox, so it's the same every year, okay? And so for us to get to Easter, what they said, we've got to know, when is the vernal equinox? That's the first day of spring. That's when day and night are as closely as possible at the same time. You know it because you start saying, hey, the days are getting longer. Well, the day just caught up with the night. In the northern hemisphere, the vernal equinox, or the first day of spring, always happens March 19, 20, or 21. Somewhere right in there. That's when day and night are the same, almost the same time. So you got the vernal equinox. After that, you've got to come up first full moon. Did you see a full moon this week? You will always see a full moon just before Easter, because it's based on that. So you had your full, you got your the first day of spring. Then you got the first full moon, and then after the first full moon, you got Easter. So you do the next Sunday, unless the first full moon happens on Sunday. And then out of deference to the Jews, they said, let's let them do Passover, and we won't interfere. And then Easter will come the first uh, Sunday after the first full moon. So that's how we've got it. And why do we put up with that hassle? The reason we put up with that hassle is because it's exciting. Easter is exciting. It's it's, it's, it's a wonderful time. Let me read it to you. One of the the most exciting passages on it for me is, uh, as we were singing um, uh, Christ is our living hope, we've been practicing that for a few months, so a few weeks ago I said, Jonathan, you know, it seems like I need to preach on this passage because we keep singing this, so uh, I've chosen 1 Peter this morning, verses 3 through 5. Let me read it to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away and reserved in heaven for you. You are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What do you see three things there. They're excited. Because of the resurrection of Christ, or through the resurrection of Christ, we are born again to a living hope. Verse 3. We also obtain an unsurpassable inheritance. Verse 4. And then we are protected by an impenetrable security shield. Verse 5. So what do we get through the resurrection? Well, here are three wonderfully exciting things. We get a living hope. We get an unsurpassable inheritance. And we get an impenetrable security shield. Let's break that down and think about it a little bit this morning. First of all, a living hope. Now Peter's the one writing it. He says, I'm born again by the mercy of God through the resurrection of Christ to a living hope. Now Peter didn't always have hope. Think about this a little bit from Peter's perspective. You remember that meeting with Christ and his disciples, their last supper. And, and, and uh, Pete, Jesus tells his disciples, uh, not only is somebody going to betray me, but all of you are going to go away from me. And you're going to deny me. And Peter steps up, no, 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 no. Everybody else might leave, not me. I will never deny you, Lord. You're my Lord. I will never. It, will, it just won't happen. And, Peter, and Jesus says to Peter, uh, no, not only is it going to happen, but you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Peter said, no way, that's just not going to happen. But we know the story. We know it did happen. Let me read a little bit to you. Look over at Luke 22. Luke 22, beginning at verse 54. Luke twenty two, fifty-four. Having arrested him, they led him away and they brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter, we're picking up the story, Peter was following at a distance. And after they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And he got this big fisherman, Peter. And then the next person comes in, a servant girl. Seeing him, as he sat in the firelight, looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. Verse 57. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. A little later, another saw him and said, You're one of them too. Peter said, Man, I am Not. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord how he had told him, before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Where's Peter's hope now? You know, I suppose at that moment, there was very little hope. He didn't have much hope in himself. He didn't have hope of living He had denied his Lord, the one that was going to save him, redeem him, take him to heaven with him. And he flat out said he wouldn't do it. And then he did it not once, not twice, but three times. Emphatically, insisted, I don't know Jesus. I don't even know who you're talking about. Where's the hope? The hope is still in Christ same chapter. Look back a few verses. Look back at verse 31, 32. Simon, Simon, behold, that's Peter, Peter, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and that when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Wow. The hope is in Christ still. The hope here is that Christ, Christ not only said, not only are you going to deny me, but I know it's going to come at a time Satan's going to is tempting you. And you're going to give way to that temptation. But I'm not just forecasting it. I'm praying for you, Peter. And I'm going to pray that you get through this Trial. And this temptation I'm going to pray you get through this sin, and I'm going to pray that you get to the other side, and when you get to the other side, you're going to be a stronger man, and when you get to that place, then I want you to teach people. I want you to teach your brethren. I want you to strengthen them. And I think some of that message that's coming through that experience through Peter is in First Peter chapter one. Where Peter is saying, we've been born again to a living hope. He he knew what it was like to live without fo- hope. And now he's focused in this chapter, 1 Peter 1, on giving us a realized hope. God granting us enough mercy to have hope. Now let me give you one other couple that lost their hope. Look at Luke uh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, Luke, Luke 24, twenty four nineteen through... T- uh, let me start at verse 18. Luke 24. Here's the, the, the couple on the road to Emmaus. They're walking away from Jerusalem. After Christ had died on the cross, it had been three days, and we pick up that story of this couple. We know one of them is, is Cleopas. The other was probably his wife. Luke 24, verse 18. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him. Jesus just kind of walked up beside him on the road to Emmaus. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? What are you talking about? You know." And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, Mighty indeed in word and in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and they crucified him. But we were hoping. Don't miss that. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, it's the third day since these things happened. Notice a couple that says... Is our hope dying? Have we lost our hope? We were hoping Jesus was going to lead us to the glories of heaven. But evil people delivered him to a crucifixion and he died. And even though he said he would rise again in three days, it's the third day and he's missing. And we were hoping it wouldn't be this way. That he was going to be our deliverer. How do you live with no hope? Three days. You know, I think about Peter. Three days of agony. He didn't get a chance to run to Christ because Christ was being examined. And he was fearful for his own life. He didn't get a chance to say, Christ, forgive me, I messed up. And he's got three days now of agony. He didn't get to say, please forgive me. He didn't get words of forgiveness. And Christ died. Christ was buried. And now he's missing. And we were hoping it wouldn't end this way. But it seems to be a dead hope. Now, another little glimmer that's pretty exciting, I think. Mark chapter 16, verse 7. Christ arises from the grave some women come to check it out let me get there mark uh, 16 and the the ladies come and check it out the angels are there and the angel is speaking verse 6 and he the angel said to them do not be amazed you're looking for jesus the nazarene who has been crucified he's risen he's not here Behold, he is, here is the place, you know, check it out, where they laid him. But, catch this, at the direction of Christ, these angels are telling these ladies what to do. But go tell his disciples, and then circle the next two words. And Peter. Go tell the disciples, and Peter. He's going ahead of you. To Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. I think Peter couldn't get his heart and mind off of Christ. But here you got a little glimpse Christ has his heart and mind on Peter as well. You need to go tell the disciples, I'm alive, I'm risen. But if you can't tell but one, if you don't get it to Peter, you haven't succeeded. Make sure you tell Peter. He's in agony. He's lost his hope. And he needs to know, I'm alive. And Peter was the one who rushes. And he's looking. He, he, as soon as he heard it, he went to the tomb. He didn't wait for explanations. He runs. And he's not here. And then he runs to this mountain in Galilee to hear of Jesus. And you could just hear him break forth in doxology in 1 Peter 1. blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Peter's a man that can't get enough of worship now. Praise and adoration, rushes to see Jesus. Will God give him Jesus? Yes. And so much more. I had a grandfather that had fishing lures about this big, they were bigger than the fish I'd caught. And I wondered about. My grandfather, when I saw these fishing lures, we would get to see him just every now and again. And when I saw these fishing lures, I said, Granddaddy, we need to go fishing. And we had to go home, and I didn't ever get to go fishing but once with him. And he had, he had would we didn't call them backpacks in those days. You called them knapsack. He was one of these guys that would throw a frying pan in his knapsack and a slab of lard. And he'd take his fishing rod and his shotgun and just leave. And be gone for three or four days. And he knew he would catch something or shoot something. And he was going to be fine. And I thought, that is so cool. I can't wait to learn how to camp with this man. How to fish with this man. He'd come back with these big 10-pound bass. How do you do that? He'd come back with ducks. He'd come back with deer, whatever. He would come back. And it, but before he came back, he, he, he made a meal. And he camped out. My grandfather died when I was just getting to the point of doing the, some time with him. I was third grade. And I still remember going to the mortuary and seeing his body in the casket. I felt lost. I felt lonely. And when Granddaddy died, my hope of living with and learning from my Granddaddy died. Gone forever. Not going to get it back in this life. Do you see the transition? For Christ, when Christ died, there were people who were literally there saying, our hope is a dead hope. Our hope has died. We thought we were going to be living with him forever. We thought he was going to forgive us. We thought he was going to take care of us. We thought there was life eternal with him. It's gone. But in Christ, there's a resurrection. And with the resurrection, the hope is resurrected. Did you think you were going to live with Christ? You will. Did you think you were going to be forgiven? You are. Did you think you were going to have eternal glory? It's yours. You have in Christ, by God's great mercy, a living hope. Hallelujah. It's exciting, you see, to celebrate a resurrected Savior, one who's always living because in his life, there's hope that we are His and with Him forever. Now, don't just see the living hope. Verse 4. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Our hope is not only alive and secure, but an inheritance is certain and sure as well. What is it? What is this inheritance? To obtain an Inheritance. I think the inheritance is none other than Christ Himself. Let me give you a couple passages to show my point. Look at Psalm 16, verse five. David gets it right a long time ago. Psalm 16, verse five, says, "The Lord is the portion." Of mine inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The Lord's my portion. The Lord is my inheritance. The world has its stuff. But the Lord is mine. The Lord is mine inheritance. My portion. There's no. Inheritance that surpasses Christ. As our inheritance. Back in First Peter one four, It's an inheritance. Which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. It's it's unsurpassable. And there's no inheritance more unsurpassable than Christ himself. Um, you know, uh, Christ was offered an inheritance by Satan. You remember when Satan came to tempt Jesus after he had been in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights? He comes out and Satan begins to tempt him to... Turn stones into bread and different things. He says, if you'll you'll do what I tell you to do, I'll give you the world. The kingdom of the world will be yours. Jesus surely laughs. This world is corrupt. Even heavens, the heavens will pass away. What you're offering me is so temporal, so shallow. God is offering us something more than Satan offered Christ. So I want to give you an inheritance which is unsurpassable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It will not perish. Though the heavens and the earth perish, what I'm offering you is an inheritance that will not perish, will not be defiled. It will be reserved for you, in heaven. That's pretty significant. Who more than Christ can be that for us? He is our portion. Let me give you another verse. Look at Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21. Philippians 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior. What are we waiting for? A Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Now think about that a minute. We are waiting to see Jesus. And the very next thing says we're waiting to see Jesus. And the reason we eagerly wait for that is because when he shows up, or we show up to Him, He will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power He has to subject all things to Himself. So, As we saw last week, His supremacy and able to subject all things beneath His feet. He says He's going to take that same power And he's going to transform. It's a radical transformation of our flesh. Our flesh is is defiled. Our flesh is fading. Our flesh is perishable. When Christ shows up and he is our portion and he comes to us, he says, I am here to transform you. I'm going to glorify your body. I want your body to be like my body, glorified. That's the inheritance that is ours in Christ. We are going to get a glorified existence, a transformed body. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Here's a classic resurrection passage that talks about it even more. 1 Corinthians 15. Let me start reading at verse... 49, just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Think again, bodies. Our bodies are, are earthy. They look like, we look like earth people. It says, but we will begin to bear the image of the heavenly now. Verse 50. I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. See, I thought we were going to get inheritance. Yeah, but you're not going to get it. Because uh, you're, not going to, you're not going to get an imperishable by giving a perishable. That's got to be transformed. Verse 51. Behold, said, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. So if Christ was to come back today and we didn't get to die, we're still going to get the glorified body. Or if you die before He comes back, you still get He says, the glorified body. We will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on the immortality, then will come about the saying that's written, O death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Christ gives us a radical, transformed existence. That's our inheritance. Receiving Christ, Christ says, first order of business is to give you my nature. I want to glorify you. I want to remove all the vestiges of sin. See, the wages of sin is death. You're not going to die anymore. So we've got to get rid of sin. We've got to get rid of your perishable body. We've got to give you righteousness. In receiving Christ, we receive the righteousness of Christ. Christ paid our debts on the cross, buried Took God's wrath for us. Then he goes to heaven as the righteous one. And literally deposits for us his righteousness. And says this is the inheritance of the saints. It's like going to your bank account and depositing, you know, a billion dollars. Even if you never touch the billion dollars, you see, you get to live off the interest. You get to draw down. You, You get benefits. People will cater to you. They'll give you privileges because you have that deposit. You're wealthy, and that matters to people. Well, think about it this way. Christ has deposited for us his righteousness. We're already... Gaining benefits from it. We're already drawing on on the interest of that. We're already growing out of sin. We're already emerging into people who want to praise him. Our life is being transformed day by day. But we haven't completely met face to face with that deposit of righteousness. He says when that happens, when you get Jesus face to face, you will see what righteousness is is like and you will be changed you will be like him you will be glorified without sin and without sin you become imperishable you become incorruptible that's what's waiting that's what's reserved for us in heaven and is not going to pass away Um uh, th- you know that's why we sing songs like when we all get to heaven what a day of rejoicing that will be hallelujah we'll sing we'll shout the victory um, think about the terms verse 4 of 1 Peter 1 an inheritance that's imperishable undefiled and will not fade away why does he use those terms to describe this inheritance and as I wrestle with that you know it's like well What other terms could you use? Because what I'm trying to describe for you, what Christ is describing, what the Scriptures are describing, is something we've never seen. And if we've never seen it, and we've never seen anything like it, it's literally undescribable. And so what Peter picks, he picks three terms that, it's like, I can't tell you what it is, but I can tell you what it's not. He says, it's, 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 it's an inheritance that's imperishable. Have you ever seen anything perish yet? Yeah, everything around me seems to perish. Well, it's not that. It's imperishable. Have you ever seen anything fade? It's not that. It doesn't fade. Have you ever seen anything get defiled and corrupt? It's not that. It's imperishable, it's unfading, it's incorruptible, and it's reserved in heaven for you. It is unsurpassable. That's the glory of our inheritance because of the resurrection of Christ. A living hope, an unsurpassable inheritance. And then third, an impenetrable security shield. Verse 5 we are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed. Protected, literally, by the power of God. Shielded. It could be shielded by the power of God. Now, let's suppose you get a living hope. It's Christ. Our living hope. It's imperishable inheritance reserved for you in heaven. You say, Man, that's awesome. That's, that's what's mine because of the resurrection of Christ. But then something happens to you. See, the th- third part's important. It's not just important that, that I have a living hope. It's not just important that I have an unsurpassable inheritance. But I'm going to be protected so I get it. What if something happened to me before I got it? Christ is not going to happen. Because I'm going to protect you with an impenetrable security shield. The Apostle Paul talks about it in Romans 8. He says, What can separate us from the love of God? Neither death nor life, neither principalities, this life, the next life, neither tribulation. He says, Nothing. I, I, have, a, I have a shield around me, nothing can separate me. From the love of God, which is mine in Christ Jesus. Peter saying the same thing. We will be guaranteed, 100% protected, shielded by the power of God for this inheritance that is ours. Now, don't miss how you get the shield. Verse 5. Who are protected by the power of God. Two key words. Through faith. Some of you don't have it. All of this is ours through faith. Have you trusted Christ? Because it's not a possession of anyone who has not trusted Christ. You must believe He is conqueror of death. Our ascended King. Our risen Lord. Through faith, through believing in Christ... We have a living hope an inheritance and this impenetrable shield. But we must exercise faith. We don't do anything for our salvation. God says, I'm going to give it to those who believe. Believe in Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Then there's this guarantee. That's all it takes is faith. Just simple believing that Christ is the resurrection and the life, your Lord. And you serve Him as your Lord. The reason for Rejoicing is—it's it's not based on any flimsy ground. It's—it's it's not a faith is not a leap in the dark. You—you are trusting the facts that Christ died for your sins, He rose again from the dead, He lives forever. Those are facts, and by trusting that, it changes who we are. Um, it changes what's going to happen. Has God protected his people? Yes. God protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. He protected Peter in prison. He protected Paul in the storms. He protected Christ on the cross. And he protects all of us who trust him. With this impenetrable shield so that death can't touch us. Satan can't touch us. Our inheritance is reserved and we get it. Hallelujah. What a glory. Uh, I love um, 2 Corinthians. I've tried so many times to memorize this, but I keep getting the words all mixed up, so I'm going to read it. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 says, We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Love that. We're perplexed, but not despairing. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in our body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Our bodies are wearing out, but no matter how they wear out, no matter how fast, how hard, how tough it is, over and over, Paul says, No matter if we get struck down, we still never get destroyed. We will be glorified. We, because of Christ's resurrection, we will be resurrected and glorified, and our inheritance is secure no matter what happens to us. We get a living hope, an unsurpassable inheritance, and this impenetrable shield so that it is all ours. Now, if that doesn't make you want to dance, if that doesn't make you want to sing, if that doesn't want to make you praise God, you got problems. Because it just doesn't get any better than this. That's why it's so exciting. And that's why the church wants to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. It's like, yeah, baby, this is cool. It really is. To be a believer. To have all that God brings us. How should we respond? With praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And an unsurpassable inheritance and an impenetrable shield. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the greatness of life in Christ. We've seen death And we don't like it. We have hope that's alive and well. And we see life in Christ living, giving to us that life which is incorruptible, undefiled, never fading, imperishable. Lord, we love you. We thank you for it. We thank you that nothing can snatch it away from us. That through faith in Christ, it is ours, both now and always. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Let us continue just to worship, to adore you for your power, your greatness, and your gifts of grace. In Jesus' name, amen.